there are there are always two sides. There is the the problem that you're trying to solve, but you also have to find the solutions that are based on something that you can be passionate about, and that that is lasting. Uh, because I, I I don't believe that I would have um, I would have stuck with this if uh, if if I had if if my um, reason for doing this would be simply to end loneliness and not having a solution that I was passionate about. The solution is also what inspires people. That is what makes it possible for this to spread to to cities and communities around the world um, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful way. And also, I, I sometimes call it a Trojan horse as well, because you know it, it's, it's also people who never thought they would be uh, out there fighting for uh, to end loneliness, but they love cycling or they love the great outdoors or they have a passion for um, stories or something like that. The kind of people that uh, that join our movement, but end up actually helping us end loneliness. Welcome to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. This is a podcast for people who look at business differently. It's for founders, freelancers, change makers, and freedom seekers who want to make money, do good, and be happy. We choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich, but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries, and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we learned about ourselves along the way. For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. This episode of the podcast is a recording from our Friday fireside way back in November 2020. We were joined by our good friend, Ollie Cassell an inspiration to us ever since we started the Happy Startup School back in 2012. He's the founder of Cycling Without Age, a movement on a mission to create a world where the elderly remain an active part of society and the local community. Since 2012, it's grown from a single cargo bike in Copenhagen to 2,000 chapters in 50 countries serving over 1.5 million people worldwide. But when Ollie first started, it wasn't meant to turn into a movement. It was just an experiment to see if he could put a smile on the face of an elderly gentleman by getting him on a bike. Retrofitting a cargo bike with a seat, he took the man out for a spin, which not only put a smile on the old man's face, but also on Ollie's. The rest is now history. Listen to this episode to learn what it takes to really become a change maker. You don't always need big plans to create systemic change. Think big, but start small. In Ole's experience, most stories of systemic change have started with an individual trying to solve a very specific problem with a simple solution. Also, it isn't just about creating impact for others, but also about finding joy in the work. You're then more likely to keep doing it and also recruit others easily. 
Find a solution that inspires other people. Ollie encourages budding change makers to connect their personal story to their story of change. This makes the work feel more meaningful and it also makes it easier to connect with others. So listen to this episode and enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. This is another Friday Fireside brought to you by the Happy Startup School. It's, uh, it's November already. Crazy. Um, Christmas is around the corner. We hope in the UK, at least, we might be allowed to have a Christmas. Again, we're going to see what um, what politicians and the pandemic let us do. But to forget all of that, today we're joined by our a really beautiful man, an old friend, one of the the one of the first speakers at our ever first ever summer camp. Um, someone we met nearly six years ago, is it now? Five, six years ago in Denmark? More than that, probably about seven or eight. More than that? Mm. Gosh. Oh, my God. Long, long time ago. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, time flies, actually. Yeah, gosh. Before 2013, wasn't it? So 2012, Mm -hmm. eight years ago. Wow. Anyway, we are here with Ali Kassa, founder of Cycling Without Age. Um, I'm going to get him to introduce himself uh, a bit in in a second um uh thankful for everyone who's joined us today on the call we'll be um looking for questions from you actually um and if you do have a question please post it in the ask a question feature here on the platform or you if you type it into the chat sometimes what happens is a little icon appears with a question mark so you can actually turn that uh chat message into a question straight away because uh, we'd love to hear any questions from you um, because it kind of helps us actually talk about the things that's important to, to you as well as hearing more about Ollie's story. Um, but to begin with, let's uh, for those of you who don't know Ollie well or haven't um, heard his story before, maybe you want to start off by telling us uh, where you are now at the moment, Ollie, and uh, describe what how you want to describe how you do, what you do, and as well how you do. <laughs> well, I'm doing fine. Uh, so we got that ticked off. Um, I think uh, if I if I if I were to describe who I am, I'm I'm really just a, an an ordinary guy who is just really curious about how we can use the very simple concept of kindness and generosity to uh, to make a better world. And I've been on that. I think I've been on that quest as long as I have met as as long as I've known you guys. Uh, and 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 it goes even further back. I think it goes back. To my childhood and my my ventures out in the world with my dad he was in a wheelchair and i was the, the guy behind the wheelchair pushing him around and because we were kind of restricted in what we could do together we couldn't play football we couldn't play uh uh like uh, softball or anything like that. all of the stuff go fishing that other children did we could do other things and we could uh we could go for walks and we could uh we could joke with people and make people smile and make people laugh. And we kind of uh, found out that that was our secret weapon uh, together. And I think that's stayed with me ever since. And uh, it's kind of taken different forms, shapes and forms over the years. And um, eight years ago, it, uh, it led me to meet you guys. But it also just happened to back in 2012, happened me to, to bring me on a path to cycling without age. Because I found that that was a great way to bring together generations. Um, and um, I've, I've been on that journey ever since and had a fantastic time doing it. Hmm. 
Maybe um, describe for people what you do with what cycling, what the purpose of cycling without age is, and and uh, and how it works. Yeah, it's it's um, so sometimes it helps to just explain what it is, uh, what what a kind of a problem we're trying to solve, and in this world today. Um, we, the way we've organized our society is that there are, there are so many people who are socially isolated and lonely. And particularly when you reach a certain age, um, you maybe because of reduced mobility, you can't go shopping. Your, your friends and your family have, have died off and you're beginning to be increasingly alone. And I, I, I saw, um, now it's beginning to sound like some old Beatles tune, you know, I saw all the lonely people in Copenhagen. Um, and I, I saw I, I, particularly one man that I kept passing in the street, and I thought, how cool would it be if I could get him back on a bike and, and use that bike as a tool to, almost like a freedom tool to get him back into, into society, into the local community. So I, I got this uh, three-wheel bike. Uh, for those of you who've been to Copenhagen, you know we have tons of these uh, three-wheel bikes, They're usually with a box, and you stuff your kids in it or your groceries. <laughs> Um, and I immediately realized that I couldn't, I couldn't put this man who was in his late 19s, I couldn't put him into like a box. <laughs> find a, a retrofitted cargo bike that had like a double seat in front. And then I took him out for, for, a, for a spin. And it became uh, transformative for, for me. Uh, it completely changed my perspective because I, I could see what a difference it made. And it's such a simple little thing because anyone can you know, can take someone for a, for a bike ride. And most of us have probably been on a bike with our parents, or if we are parents, we've had the kids on the bike. And uh, we know how amazing that is to be, on a, to be on a bike and to share that experience and to have that same kind of perspective when you're, when you're cycling around. And it, it brings you together um, when, you, when, you, when you share those experiences and you share stories. And uh, and I, I realized that with with the, this this man that I took out for for a, for a spin talking, that within just a couple of months we were the best of friends, you know, and he was more than twice my age. <laughs> wow! And so um, it started very small. This is this is quite a big idea, but it started very small. And maybe for those people who are watching and who'll be listening to this, where they see something like big problem that they want to they want to fix or big change that they want to see happening but they don't know where to start it'd be really curious to hear how you just got going with this because as Anton, you've got a hundred different chapters across the world now is that right uh no we actually have uh, over two thousand chapters two thousand chapters yeah. see i was trying to sell it first <laughs> two thousand chapters that's massive so yeah that that for someone watching that and listening now is like wow how did you get there so it'd be interesting to see just share a bit of how it started yeah and i i think actually uh when i when i got this idea it wasn't it wasn't really meant to be uh it wasn't meant to be a movement or it wasn't meant to really solve anything systemic and maybe we can get back to talking about how we how we change systems and how we change mindsets but uh but back then, it was really just uh, it was a little bit of an experiment, and I think uh, maybe that's uh, what I when I when I meet other change makers around the world, I I, I see that very often their idea has come from um, an individual looking to solve a very specific problem with a very simple solution, 
Um, and uh, and the, the, same, the same thing went for me. It was just picking up this three-wheel bike, bringing it down, taking someone out for, for a spin and see what happens. And I didn't really expect anything more to happen than just putting the smile uh, on his face. Mm-hmm. And, and it did. And, and you know, I, I got a call the next day and then, uh, you know, I was asked to come back and take more elders for, for bike ride. And I think um, for, for something to happen and to change and for people to, to get on this change-making path, it has to be something that resonates with um, some injustice or something that uh, maybe goes back to, you know, your definition of uh, innovation before is you, you see something that is broken or something you want to improve and you come up with an idea. And my, my, uh, my uh, uh, mode of operation has never been to sit down for like six months or 12 months and, and sit, think through the idea and then execute it. Um, I, I, I go into action mode immediately. So, mm-hmm. so for me to realize that I wanted to do this and then to actually do something about it, it took me, uh, you know, hour, a matter of hours. And then I was, I was, I was on my way, and I was in experimental mode from from uh, from day one. And I, I see that with a lot of uh, of other change makers is that they they see something they want to change or improve, uh, something that is broken. In my case, seeing something who was clearly lonely, uh, possibly socially isolated, and I could see I could make a difference here. And then, of course, if you if you enjoy it and if you're passionate about it and you can see that it makes a difference, well, then you continue. And I think that kind of radiates out from people watching that and uh, maybe becomes the, the way for other people to uh, to join as well. Hmm. Well, so how when did you start seeing this? change from oh this is something i'm doing and it's working in this very kind of personal way you could see this impact to then actually it's it's starting to have a broader interest and there's something here that could start being more powerful um well i i guess it it happened several times uh the, the first time was when when the uh the care home manager called me back the next day and said the, 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 uh, the, the, on the first ride that I'd done, uh, that was now the talk of the care home, and they wanted me to come back. Right, so I realized that I had stumbled upon something that was that was key, that was important. But um, um, but then otherwise, it was whenever photos were being shared on social media, or if I was just out riding in Copenhagen, meeting people, and people immediately resonating with this and wanting to sign up. To be to be volunteers um, and to also feel that whenever I reached out to uh, funders, donors, uh, people that we could partner with, there was there was there was an immediate understanding that and a recognition that this is a problem and there is an amazing solution. That uh, well, why didn't we think of that before? Because mm-hmm. very often you know, you you have these big systemic problems and and people are thinking they have to create. Uh, huge complex solutions for that but uh, but I don't believe that is is the way because then it becomes really difficult to explain it becomes really difficult to get a following so it has to be easy to for people to understand maybe even just with a photo or uh, or just a few words that people can understand and people can relate to that and they want to be part of it well 
also fun as well. It was like it's a, it's a fun thing to do, right? For you as well as for yeah. Everyone. I remember when you first talked about this, you got so many stories back from from the people that you were taking on rides, and it felt like a two way street. You know, you got so much back in return. It is actually, and, and what I like about it is that I actually can I consider both myself and the people I I take out for rides. I consider all of us to be volunteers. We're in the same boat. So I, I don't see myself as someone um, uh, like a do-gooder who comes in to give someone a bike ride. But I, I consider myself to be someone who offers my friendship to someone. And what they give me back is they give me stories. They give me um, insights into uh, what was the world like in the past, but also uh, what is their perspective on the world today. Like today we were out this morning riding with uh, – with a lady uh, in her mid eighties. And it turns out that uh, for 25 years, we've lived in the, in the same neighborhood. And suddenly I get the perspective of my neighborhood in that period of time from someone from a completely different generation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I consider her to be of service to me the same way that I can be of service to her. So it's a, it's a, it goes both ways. And I think that's important as well. Mm-hmm. There's something around mutual needs. So, yeah. so Lawrence? No, just saying we, we've got to experience that joy of being on Ollie's, Ollie's bike. Oh, yes. That was fun. <laughs> Particularly the strong smell of weed as we're going through Christiania. Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was an experience and a half. But it's, um, I was thinking about that, actually, even that idea of um, – when, when you're talking about you are getting something out of this, you're getting stories, you're getting the sense of connection, as well as them getting this ride, this, you know, this uh, uh, opportunity to just be out in the open. There's something, I, I was wondering, there's something about the way even the bike is set up that because you're not facing each other, having to have a conversation, mm. you're kind of like, just facing a different, you know, facing in the same direction, but you're not, it just, I don't know if that, is there something around that that just opens up the possibility to just share a bit more or just to just not feel the pressure of having to say things. Yeah. If that makes sense. It, it definitely is. We all know it when we go for a, like we all know what it's like to go for a, for a walk in the, in the forest or even in your case, Lawrence, uh, running around the countryside trying to find your dog. But you, you have, you have the same, perspective and um and you're not confronting each other so it becomes easy it, it's the same it's the same way you can do with your with your kids if you want to bring up something if you want to bring up something serious you have, have to have that serious conversation about something um i find that it's always easier to do it uh when you're facing the same direction because you've kind of you're facing the same experience the same adventure or maybe even the same problem you're not sitting looking at each other so i I have found that uh, it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing that can that can solve so many different uh, situations uh, in our lives, uh, and I, I totally recommend it. And, and of course, this bike by design, and it was it was really quite a coincidence that that was the design that I that I came up with that that time. But you have one or two uh, elders sitting right in front of you, and you can kind of lean forward, and you can have that you know little conversation. And of course. At the moment, with uh, with COVID nineteen, uh, we're having to to take uh, different precautions and uh, wear face masks, and uh, there's a little bit of a barrier and so on. So we, we don't get the full experience. But I do like that design where 
we're facing we're facing the same direction and we're just rolling along and i um i have this wonderful story from uh, one of the small towns outside of copenhagen where there was this this man in his uh, his 80s uh, suffering from dementia and his wife and his son would come down twice a week to cycle with him and uh, and take him outside and they said what we what happens in our family those two hours twice a week could never happen inside the care home or even if she lived if he lived at home it couldn't happen in his home because we're outside we're getting fresh air we're giving you know his perspective and he's not feeling under pressure to talk because when you when you're growing older and maybe uh, uh, mentally you're you're you know there is a certain amount of deterioration you uh, you can feel under immense pressure to perform uh, in terms of having conversation even with your with your children or your family and uh, and it can put a lot of strain on that relationships and what we found was that that relationship and that family was completely taken back to what it was years ago and that's what i that's one of the things i, I love anecdotes like that and we see those happening over and over again um i like helen's comment here she she said she loved the term elders um, as it gives a sense of respect and mm. i think there's this this contrast of situations here where one they're in a home in a sense they're kind of like blocked away separated from the world and so there's this, all right they're old people over there yeah. as opposed to where you describe it they're elders sharing a journey with me sharing a story with me there's a totally different relationship that you're creating by just creating a different space for that conversation to happen yeah and actually um probably uh, age is one of the 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 few areas uh, where discrimination is still pretty much accepted in in, in most societies around the world uh ageism is, is is in my book a huge problem uh there are there, there is a age discrimination going on in our society that we would never accept if it came to uh, sexual orientation or gender or any other minorities. We accept that when it comes to, to age. So ageism is a, is a huge problem. And actually, the, the way we talk about elders is important as well. I've gone through the journey, uh, just like most of us have, you know, can we call, you know, what do we call an old person, like an older adult or an elderly person? Or I like the word elders because to me, it shows respect, and there's, uh, there's this dignity built into that term. It means that these are wise people with, uh, like, they have wisdom that I want. I want to harvest that wisdom. It kind of goes back to uh, in, in the old days when, when elders were people in the, you know, in the village or the tribe uh, whom you went to and, and sought advice. And now... In most cases, elders are, are left to their own devices and they're sitting either in care homes or in their own homes. Um, and there's so much wisdom and, and joy and insight that, uh, that we could harvest and that could bring so much joy to other people as well. Um, and I, I love that. And I, I love to come up with little ideas of how we can, we can, we can open up that, mm. that box of, uh, of opportunity. There's a, the word othering sprang to mind when you're talking about how this kind of discrimination that we can create between, well, in this case, us and elderly people. And, and part of that in my head is a lack of empathy because we don't 
and no, they don't know how. What that we're thinking them as old people, forgetting that they are people who are just like us. They had youths, they had lives, they had different experiences, and now they're, they're unfortunately unable to leave their homes. Yeah, and and this is where we're at now. Yeah. <laughs> we're in this place where we can't leave our homes. We're stuck. We can't get out as much as we'd like. So there's a there's this idea of how. You shared a story with me earlier this week about how we, how when we can start creating more empathy with people in different situations, particularly people, uh, elderly people who don't have the same ability and faculties that we do. Only until we understand that level of how they're living can we maybe understand how best to connect with them. A bit more about was it in Singapore? Yeah, we we have a we have a, a, a wonderful chapter in Singapore, and they have uh, they have created this little empathy kit. And really, what it is, it's like this. Uh, I think I think it, it, people use it around the world, but they they have it as part of onboarding new volunteers. So you get into this suit that makes it difficult for you to to uh, to move around, and they have, they have these straps that makes it impossible for you to to straighten out your legs. So you have to kind of go hunched as well. Uh, they, you put on these glasses that uh, warp things and turn them into a different color. Uh, you have to wear these gloves as well that makes it impossible for you to feel. And then they give you different uh, challenges, things like, you know, you have to uh, thread a needle without being able to see properly and feel properly. And, you know, even after just five or ten minutes, you're incredibly frustrated mm-hmm. um, because you understand that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just myself inside but i there's a lot of stuff that i suddenly can't do and that's exactly what happens when you you know in, in most cases when you grow older you start to lose um different abilities and um and we don't understand that as 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 younger people uh, but we found that, that this uh this experience just increases the amount of empathy amazingly um, and of course, there's another thing right now that created creates a lot of uh, increase in empathy, and that is the fact that we all now know what it's like to be socially isolated mm. because of the pandemic. So, um, if if anything positive is going to come out of this pandemic, one of them might be that we are now we can we can really empathize with people who are socially isolated and who become lonely. Or well, I think they have a, they have a wonderful term in Sweden which they call uh, uh, involuntary loneliness. Uh, because of course, some people might choose to be lonely, but uh, but it's it's as, as long as it's it's involuntary that it becomes a big problem. And there are there are so many people. There are literally hundreds of millions of of, uh, of people suffering from loneliness today. And this, for me, kind of comes onto this idea you talked before about systemic change. Um, we started, I think. We're at this place where I'm hearing is like empathy, this real connection, a human to human connection. You're there, you're on a bike, you're with these, this person in front of you, you're sharing a story, and there's that real sense of, okay, um, at a personal level, I'm feeling some level of impact. And then at some point, now that you have 2,000 chapters, <laughs> it becomes a much bigger thing, and this starts becoming, well, maybe this idea of system change or systemic impact. I don't know if you could to share that well, your thoughts on that and how that relates to your initial experience of it just an, an idea that you had yeah yeah I, th- I think that's it 
I it has it has actually um, surprised me tremendously as well. What how we can actually with just tiny little baby steps we can start to actually change the systems in our societies as well because that's what we want to do and uh, and and I've been privileged enough to uh, to be given a lot of insight into this uh, since three years ago I I, uh, I was uh, able to join uh, the Ashoka organization as a fellow um, and of course they work with uh, creating a change maker world um, but also how we can move from um, the, uh, the the direct impact that we have whenever in, in our case we get up on the bike and we invite an elderly person uh, on as a passenger and we share a story uh, and we, we start to change the perspective. But once that happens on a massive scale, we suddenly start to become uh, more powerful in the way that we can influence systems. We, we suddenly have a voice uh, towards policymakers, towards politicians, local governments, uh, family members of, of elders in care homes. Um, and it's actually, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the good old well-known iceberg where the, the, the direct impact is what we see above the waterline, which is, you know, it has to be there. It's why we're here. But most of the impact actually takes place underneath. That's when we start to realize that we can, we can start to change the systems. For instance, if I want to change, if I want to end loneliness and social isolation, um, I can do it one bike ride at a time, and I will continue to do that. But if I can use that combined power to change the way we organize our societies, for instance, so that elders don't end up being lonely in the first place, then I will do my utmost to do so. And for instance, uh, we're now beginning to see that uh, uh, we're being asked uh, to give input when, when uh, communities and municipalities and, and so on around the world, when they design elder communities, how do we want to live together? How do we want to age and I've been I've started to give this a lot of thought in my own life, you know, as I move into, uh, you know, in the in the decades to come, I move into uh, to old age. How do I want to live? Do I want to fall into the same trap as most others? Because we've dis it's by design. It's the way we've designed our society, for instance. Um, and a part of it is also the way we've designed our cities where. Uh, I was in, in Dublin uh, last year, and I saw that uh, they had started to take away benches on the streets to prevent homeless people from sleeping on them. Now, the result was that elders uh, who are relying on those benches to go, to go shopping could no longer go shopping because they rely on the ability to sit down every few hundred meters, right? Uh, but if they take away the benches, then they can't do that. So it's, it's what we call dark design. And, and the same thing about uh, the way we've, we've uh, designed our cities in such a way that all the shopping is outside the city core. Or elder communities are located so far away that uh, the only reasonable way you can get shopping is if you have a car. And so if you reach an age where you can't drive a car anymore, you're stuck. So it, that, that's one of the, the ways that I think we as, an, as a movement can start to uh, influence the systems and change the systems in our society. And that's kind of the first next level of, uh, of systemic impact. And of course, as we drive, dive even further down into the, into the iceberg and we want to get the whole thing, it's where we can change people's minds as well. When the way we talk about elders, the way we talk about loneliness uh, is ingrained in, in who we are and we don't accept that. 
and that it becomes a priority whenever we have conversations that people just like it is like we've had the the me too movement that has been so important um for uh, for getting rid of discrimination uh, among genders um and i really wished we would have something similar in uh you know for for, for aging as well that we we get to a point where it is not accepted like there's just been a presidential uh, election in in the US and people keep talking about Biden and he's old and so on my some of the things they say about him you would never get away with saying about uh, a woman or um uh, any, any other minority not that women is a minority but uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't get away with it so so I want the way we talk about elders to change as well, and that is a mindset change, and that's going to take a long time. Um, so we better get started. <laughs> I, I love the way that you're tackling this, though, because there's so much kind of positivity and energy mm. in the way you are, um, where the tip of change is starting. It's like it's not like all right, we need to fight the system. It, it's it seems to come from a place of connection rather than division it's not like oh you're bad you need to change it's like what if we just had a conversation with these people in a way that we both get some value or some some pleasant feelings so it's um i i think that if there was something that i would hope anyone would take away from this conversation is like to in a sense think of it at that personal level how does how as a change maker do i get a good feeling from this rather than just purely pouring my energy to change a system um, I know like, like you said, yeah. it feels feels like a love of a love of all people and a love of the experience we've created, not just maybe anger or kind of a, a, not aggression, but yeah, frustration at the system. Because I think, like Carla said, a lot of people focus on the maybe negative feelings that spark change rather than actually this is a, a joy that you experience when you go out with people on individual individual level. And and I, I that's that's totally correct because there are there are always two sides. There is the the problem that you're trying to solve, but you also have to find the solutions that are based on something that you can be passionate about, and that that is lasting. Uh, because I I I don't believe that I would have um, I would have stuck with this if uh, if if I had if if my um, reason for doing this would be simply to end loneliness and not having a solution that I was passionate about. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. It's always the problem, but there is also a solution. And I think the solution is also what inspires people. That is what makes it possible for this to spread to, to cities and communities around the world um, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful way. And also, I, I sometimes call it the Trojan horse as well, because, you know, it, it's, it's also people who never thought they would be uh, out there fighting for uh, to end loneliness or social mm-hmm. isolation. But they love cycling or they love the great outdoors or they have a passion for um, stories or something like that. Mm-hmm. The kind of people that, uh, that join our movement, but end up actually helping us end loneliness. Mm. there's something we just we had we talked about uh in the previous conversation ollie around weaving your own story 
within this journey of being a change maker. And I feel there's something that's connected here in terms of why we're doing this. What is it? What's in it for us in inverted commas? What what connects us to this story of change or this mission of change? And I don't know if you can elaborate a bit more about that and how people could think of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, just speaking from my own perspective, I think when I um, when I uh, consider my own change maker story, it it comes from my own experiences in my childhood, and um, and I think it it also makes it a, a powerful um, story to connect to other people that I don't think it would have happened if um, if it hadn't been rooted in my own my own childhood and my own experiences of like that. And uh, and actually, when I met you guys the first time, I think uh, I probably hadn't even started cycling without age yet. Um, but but it was it was it was grounded in um, a quest for um, understanding what kindness and generosity can do for this world. Mm. And I, I I profoundly believe that it can it can change the world. And there are there are so many. It, it almost sounds uh, unjust to uh, to the concept, but there are so many applications for kindness. In so many different uh, ways, um, that it, I did an abundance, right? But I think it, it has to be woven into your personal story as well, in order for this to stick. Um, and um, and I guess um, a lot of the conversations that I've had with other budding social entrepreneurs who have amazing ideas is I, I try to encourage them to to really um, look inside and understand how, on a personal level. Um, does this relate to to my own story? Why is it that I want to do this? Um, why is it? Um, and it, it could be something that happened way back in your childhood, but it could also happen be something that that happened to you when you were in your early twenties, or or even later on in life. But personal experience is is um, I find almost present in any um, social innovation that I have come across. Mm. Mm. On a previous call with a case clump, who's talk, talked about purpose and pain, um, and I think um, we had someone actually ask about how can you feel joy. I think Chris said, "How can one feel joy and happiness when reacting to an injustice in society?" Um, and I connect that to what Case was saying. You know, wherever there's purpose, there's pain. There's something that you're trying to uh, to tackle there. But the other thing that he came he came up with in that conversation, which I was quite taken by, is the idea of the symptoms, systems, and stories. And the way I relate this is the, the system, the things that we do, the, the businesses we create, the enterprises we, we make, the actions we take, they can, they're all, they all come from and all driven by an underlying story if they're going to be sustainable. So the impact you create comes from the thing that you do, the business you create, but that comes from an underlying story. And what I hear is like, mm -hmm. if you can tap into that story, if you can really understand that story and connect that story to the thing you're creating, then it'll have more life. Yes. And it'll be more sustainable. Yes. And, and, and it has to be something to you. Yes. And you, you mentioned something else really important as well, which is purpose. And, um, and I think, um, from my own perspective, I I have I had I had years in my adult life where I felt that I had lost my purpose, um, 
And I wasn't quite sure. I mean, it wasn't really until I started deep, digging deep into myself that I realized what my, my, my personal mission in life was. Um, but I feel that um, if you can articulate that and if you can, if you can use that to connect with other people as whether you call them values or guiding principles, uh, in my case, generosity, uh, relationships, storytelling, those kind of guiding principles become so powerful. And I think it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense to spend, uh, spend time early on in, in, in your quest for becoming a change maker to understand what is, my per what is my personal purpose in life? What mission am I on? And, um, and when you try and sort of get that distilled out into guiding principles, it becomes so easy to explain to other people as well. People immediately relate to the concept of kindness, for instance, mm -hmm. um, whereas and 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 everybody has their own stories. What I that, that's one amazing thing as well. I have met so many people uh, in in uh, in cycling with that age around the world who have each and every one of them have their own personal stories and reasons to to be part of what we're doing, and that I think what is it's what makes it really powerful, and and uh, it also uh, probably explains why we are we are now. About thirty-three thousand volunteers in total, um, and I'm just one out of thirty-three thousand. And if you look at what Cycling Blood Age is today, um, I have ju I just came up with the idea. But what it really is is the uh, combined efforts of so many different people who come up with the most amazing ideas every single day. So my my job now is to uh, enable connections between people and to uh, to get people to relate to their own change maker story. Mm. Well, not just the, like, there was one conversation I had with a, a volunteers a couple of years ago, actually uh, a guy from, from England. And, um, and he said, you know, I struggle with the, uh, with, cause I, I see myself as just a small wheel in a big machinery. Um, but I hear what you're saying that I, you know, I'm, a, I'm really a change maker. And I think a lot of people feel uh, a little bit taken aback by the fact that they are change makers, but we all are. But we shouldn't see it as just because I'm a change maker, I need to, I need to build a global movement, or I need to uh, to change all the problems in the world. I think we need to, in order not to lose our sanity, we also need to understand that uh, even tiny little things, every little act of kindness, is actually changing the world. Mm. I love that. This is for me, um, trying to connect this idea of kind of making sort of positive impact, particularly when there's something quite challenging in the world. Um, and how does that become an act of joy? How does that, how do you put some joy? Because if I, my belief, and this is maybe just because of the people I hang around with, I think without that sense of joy, without that sense of um, that font of energy, how do you continue? How do you keep on going if there's not something that lifts you um, while you're carrying this load? And, I, and what I hear from you is this idea of connecting people, that even that sense of connection, being part of something bigger than yourself. Mm. That's where the joy comes from. You know, and, and using stories and empathy and kindness to connect us on whatever mission we're on. Because it's, it's about not only just about the, the system, it's about us. There's something in this story that's really important to us and then it's important to that person and to Lawrence and to you and to everyone else on this call yeah. that we think, oh, wow, 
doing this work is great. It's hard, but I love it. It's true. It's true. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that because um, because I I'm I'm not an expert on. Well, actually, I'm not an expert on 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 anything at all, really. But um, I'm certainly not an expert on on other people's uh, um, social innovations. So I, I can't say that you know this will definitely work for, for them. But I do believe that there is a an immense amount of power in trying to um, to frame something as a solution that gives joy, but it helps solve a systemic problem. Mm. And I think we can do that. We can do that with things around the environment, uh, with things even around COVID-19, because there are, there are so many things you can do that will build communities, that will build relationships, that will make people enjoy um, having that sense of purpose when they go out and, and change something. Mm. So I think it's, it's important to focus on that as we, as we build solutions for, for complex systemic problems. This word that springs to mind is about community. It's about a collective effort to make something happen. And I was going to sort of like refer to the second mountain book that we've been you know, like talking about a lot recently, Lawrence, about how that, <coughs> that mountain of meaning and purpose is, is rooted in community and connection. Yeah, the thing that struck me is, um, I guess your, and this is the interesting thing with your journaling, Ollie, that you didn't just, I think when we first met, you were, um, talking a lot about kindness and business and helping other people to to get inspired by that message and then you know didn't just do that for a living a consultant mentor you you did you applied that to your own purpose and so I take it as that you still get the buzz from the individual the micro level interactions as well as this big macro level system change which I think a lot of people maybe I think it's hard to get to hold both of those things the kind of you know enjoying me spending time with your your guy on the bike whilst not thinking i shouldn't be here i should be having a meeting with you know a policymaker in in government so i don't know if you, have you had the tension there between those those two things being able to still because I, I get that feeling of the little acts of kindness you talk about are system change because yeah. they lead to like carlos said a new story oh it's uh, you know it's the story of my life uh because <laughs> because i do really enjoy getting up on that bike and and taking uh, an elder out for a bike ride uh, or someone with reduced mobility out for a bike ride, someone who can no longer do that. But what I do um, also um, think is important is that we, that we, that we as um, as change makers try and establish that correlation between that very concrete act or the direct effect or the direct service that we offer and how that changes the world. And that's what we like, we spend a huge amount of time last year trying to understand, uh, basically look at all the sustainable development goals and figure out how do we fit in, because the 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 idea was that if if a uh, if someone who joins our movement as a as a volunteer takes someone for a bike ride, I want them to understand how they how that is going to how is that making a, the world a better place, because of course you can feel yourself that. Uh, it feels good to take someone out for a bike ride. It feels good to, to see that person smile and be grateful. And like this lady this morning that we took out for a bike ride who said, oh, this is the most amazing um, cozy blanket I have touched for a long time. And it has these little muffs and things like that. So she really enjoyed that. And, you know, just, just that. She was raving about it for like five minutes. 
that really made me smile. But if, if I can um, establish the relationship between that act and creating a better world, then it makes it so much easier for me to, um, to sustain or to retain uh, people's involvement in, in our movement. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is not necessarily easy, but we spend a lot of time doing this uh, with the sustainable development goals because at least someone has sat down and said, if we have reduced inequality, if we don't have discrimination, if we have uh, sustainable communities and cities, um, then we will create a better world. Mm. And so if we can correlate with what we're doing on a direct level with that, it becomes easier for people to, uh, to understand. And I think it, it, it retains people's motivation and enthusiasm about being involved. Mm. Mm. The, the thing that springs to mind, um, you know, when you start talking about uh, sustainable development goals, um, it starts thinking quite um, big. Um, one of the challenges for many people in in our community and the people that we coach and come onto our programs is the problem of overthinking, S getting very lost in the details and the implications and the and the complexity of making impact or creating systems change. Um, I'm wondering how you navigate that, or is there anything? a story or your own experience of that that just could help others who might be paralyzed mm. by the analysis of what is possible or not possible or could go wrong. Well, let me tell you a secret. You know, I, I've never made a strategy plan. <laughs> no, no, it's not just us. <laughs> so... So I think uh, overthinking things, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's paralysis. If people are paralyzed because they overthink things, it's, it's, it's totally normal. Um, and in fact, you know, one, one of, the, one of the, the nifty little books that I also read that I came to terms with that myself was the book called Switch that you probably read as well. Um, and... Uh, it, it talks about um, the, the fact that you, as uh, as a change maker who's sitting there, getting up, coming up with the idea, um, you can very often resort to being paralyzed by all the options you have, and then you don't accomplish anything. So, my um, my advice is, and my advice to myself over the years has been as well to try and make things so simple as I could, um, because. I think we've all heard it. Um, uh, complex problems are solved with simple solutions. Um, and th that may be um, a cliche, but it's true. Mm. It, is so, it is so true. Um, and so I, I, I fear that if I had known about the sustainable development goals when I started cycling that age and had started to make a strategic plan, and looked into all of this and trying to sort of figure out where do we take boxes, where do we need to take action, I would have never started. So I, whilst I think it's a good tool and it's, it's good for me to now understand um, the impact of what we're doing, um, it can also have the opposite effect. So I, th I think we just need to be aware of the fact that uh, having feeling that we have to create the perfect solution before we take any action can actually cause us to stall 
and then we don't get anywhere. So it's it's a little bit like agile development, you know, it's, it's baby steps, you know, achieving uh, results as we go along so that we have little successes that could propel us forward to the next thing and keeping the motivation going, keeping uh, our inspiration and passion going. Um, that I think is important. I think of the phrase, it's a kind of design phrase, but thinking with your hands, you know, you, you know doing something rather than spinning out in your head. Yeah. There's something around here as well, just feeling into the next step. Yeah. As in, does this feel right? Rather than is this, and this is something I've always struggled with because I'm, I'm very much of a trying to think strategically. Yeah. But when there's too much information and and any solution, any step could be just as good as the other, and it, it feels like very much about okay, what what feels like the right next step? Is it kind? Does it feel right? Okay, <laughs> let's do. <that. laughs> yeah, and actually, um, it it actually leads me to talk just a little bit, if you allow me to talk about. Uh, <laughs> principle that we have which is slowness and you know when people read that they go slowness why you know why would that be a guiding principle but I think we, we live in a world today that is so fast and furious and people have you know stress and uh, people feel like they they can't cope and uh, there's so many pressures but if we slow down um, and the same thing goes for developing solutions for complex problem complex problems if we slow down <clears throat> there is, I mean, we want this to stick. We don't want to, to create a solution that will be gone again in, uh, in, in two or three years' time. We want something that is here for a very long time, for the long haul. Mm. So slowness is actually, um, I think, a guiding principle that I think we can apply in so many different parts of, uh, of our world today. Imagine if traffic slowed down. Imagine if cars were only allowed to do 15 miles an hour uh, all over all cities and that more people would walk or use their bikes um, or in any other thing that we pursue in our lives that we just take the time to actually really feel through how does it feel to us uh, before we take the next step. I think that's really important. And I think, uh, you know, aside from, uh, from, from, from kindness and generosity, I think uh, slowness is, uh, is actually could be a game changer for, for all of us. Mm. Mm. Makes me think of being, being patient. I think it's a, a quality that yes. not all of us have. I'm trying. Actually, when, you're, when you're out with an an, uh, an elder, you have to slow down. Mm. You have to really take it easy, and very often the conversation will be slow, but it's it becomes more meaningful as well, and uh, it becomes just a you know it, it feels like you're you're becoming more equal as well when we slow down. To the same, the same speed. There's um, something mindful about that aspect as well, because you're present with the time you have, and and it also makes me think. You know, just because you're slow doesn't mean you don't do it in time. It means that actually you you do the right thing, the thing that's most important, rather than the first thing that springs to your head. And so that's, I think maybe for for some of us who feel impatient because they it's like a ticking time bomb there's things that need to be changed right now or else you know something will explode it's not i don't i'd hope to to share with people that it's not that we don't care about how long it takes it's just making sure that it's it feels right and we're not 
jumping the gun too quickly. And you know, we we can have the heart with us as we do that. Hmm. Yeah. And it yeah. feels like thinking more long term than just a quick fix, which is yeah. Yeah. always bring the heart. <clears throat> well, um, thank you very much, Ali. That was beautiful conversation. I hope it's been um, inspirational, energizing, connecting, and kind to everyone who's been uh, listening and, and to anyone who is listening to this on the podcast. Um, for people who would like to uh, learn more about uh, what you do, um, particularly anyone who's listening to this rather than uh, on the live chat, could you just share places on the interwebs that they can go to find out more? Yeah. Um, so we have a, a website called cyclingwithoutage.org, uh, which is the international website. You can click through to a lot of country websites. There's one for the UK.org.uk. Um, we have a wonderful uh, group of people running that. And I think we have over 150 chapters throughout the UK. And um, even more in Scotland as well. So um, you can go on to, obviously, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and so on as well, and find, find some posts as well. But uh, if you want to join, there is a map where you can click through and, uh, and find the, the local chapter lead in, in wherever you are. But you can also join and, uh, and start your own as an affiliate, and we'd love to do that. We do some really cool things right now. We're in the process of developing a open source cargo bike uh, that could be modified to a tri show as well. So uh, if you uh, if you have any sort of skills or passions in that area, we'd love to hear from you as well. Awesome, and some lovely comments coming in on mm -hmm. the chat. Um, really grateful for those. Thank you, Anna and, and Jamila and Vanessa and Kate. Um, inspiring is the word. It seems to be popping up a lot. So thank you for your inspiration, Ollie, today. And thank also you so your much lovely fire. And being part of this amazing group. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> oh, feeling warm and cozy now. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hot now, actually. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> um, uh, go out for a cycle. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, take care, everyone. Thank you very much. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?